Welcome to the B&E Podcast with Brandon Colby-Cook and Evan Schulte. Exploring the creative process and finding the balance between artistry and industry. Entirely uncut and unscripted. The B&E Podcast. Once more. And today, we've... uh, you know, we, we, we're not too specific on our, our topic today, but we thought, let's see, let's see what, uh, what kind of interesting stuff we might stumble upon. So today, the subject matter is the big studios and the blockbusters. Yeah, and how we hate them and love them at the same time. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, all of the... Because, yeah, there's definitely, like, people who just uh, just hate them. Mm-hmm. They just, you know, there's, there's people who, who will refuse to go and see, you know, the big, the big movies that come out, you know, these massive, like 150, 200 million plus, you know, movies that come out, mm-hmm. um, that are not always, but usually like heavy special effects kind of films are superhero films. Obviously that's mm-hmm. huge these days. I saw an article recently can't remember what director it was who had said this, but basically said they thought that that comic book movies were destroying <laughs> were destroying the film industry. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't think I dis I, I don't think I agree with that statement. Yeah. Like how can you really say that this is destroying the film industry? You know, I think it's it's an interesting thing to actually take a look. It's you know, that's a very dismissive way of of engaging with it. Like you can't just pretend that it's not there, that it's not happening, and that it doesn't have some kind of a relevance for whatever reason. Mm-hmm. You know, because it's happening, and people are obviously, they want it. Mm-hmm. That's why they keep making it, and studios are making money off of it. Mm-hmm. Right? So they're going to make a smart business sense, and people are getting comic book movies. Yeah, totally. And then are going to complain about comic book <laughs> movies. <laughs> well, it's a, it's a, yeah, it's, a, it's such an interesting thing, because... <clears throat> You know, I, I think I come from the point of view of just like being more in the inside of the industry now more and more is like, I think that people don't understand that they don't understand how the system works in the first place. That was what, before we were talking, that was what I was thinking, like, because there's, there's certain things that like, everything's fine. Like anybody can do anything they want, but when it comes down to dollars and cents and it comes down to numbers, which is, it's the film business, you know, yeah. it, it is it's an industry and the industry is business. And the thing is, is that the people that are doing the business side of it are going to look at like, okay, well, how do we guarantee a return? How do we make sure that, you know, people keep reinvesting into film? I mean, what a lot of people don't realize is you go and you make your artistic film and and maybe it's a really great story, but you're not mindful of how it's going to make money back and it loses money. Even if it's a great movie, that hurts us all because now there's less investors who want to invest because they, mm-hmm. they lost their money, right? They lost your money. Yeah. They were part of a great film, but they lost their money. And, and so like with these studios and, and that, you know, the money comes from somewhere. It doesn't yeah. just come out of the sky. And so, you know, people who are, who are, or the, the part of the industry that's putting money into this doesn't want to lose. Right. And yeah. they want to assure a certain amount of return. So, yeah, that's why we get a lot of safe movies. Well, I yeah, I mean, yeah. And nobody nobody wants to lose. I mean, when we had Gabe on uh, a little while ago, he talked about that. You know, yeah. it, uh, when we asked him about, 
you know, some of the failures or the things that didn't go the way that, yeah. that he wanted to. And he said, you know, it's, there's, when something goes bad, I mean, there's kind of two ways it can go. You make a bad movie and it makes, actually, I think he said there's three ways. Like you make a bad movie, but it still makes some money, which you can work with. Yeah. Or you make a bad money and make, or a bad movie and you, you make nothing on it. Or you make a good movie, but you make nothing on it. Or you make a good, movie. Make a good movie and you make money on it, yeah. right? But, <laughs> like in term, but in terms yeah. of like if it doesn't go well, yeah. right? Well, you know, it's just it like well, you can yeah, work yeah. at least with, you know, if you if you didn't make the money back uh, and but you made something good, you know, it's a little bit it's a little bit easier to get investors again. But, you know, it's you know, I think that that artists need to have to, to be compassionate about the business side of things, too. You know, like stop stop looking at at people as being just faceless. They're not, you know, like that's, that's almost a really silly thing to do as an artist. I mean, we're, we're supposed to be helping to almost, I would say, breathe more compassion into the world. And if we don't exercise that in our own lives, within our own industry, I mean, these are people, you know, yes, they're, they're involved with the business, but they're, these are people who are very often they're passionate about the business side of things. There are Mm -hmm. people who that is what they love to do. They love to, you know, get these people together. They love to get, you know, money brought in and produce something that people like, Mm -hmm. you know, whatever, whatever that is. And so for them, you know, for them to keep doing what they're doing, you know, what they love to do, it's in their interest as well that their investors get, get what they put in back. Yeah. Right. Well, I think a lot of people don't realize that a lot of people get into the film industry who are at the top, who are in, in the in the upper echelon of it, who never even got into film because they like film. They got into film because film was a really kind of great investment. It, yeah. Simply, that's all it was. Like, you know, they don't care if it's a bad film, a good film or whatever. And to them, you know, their interest in film is not is not like the artist where the artist is like, I want to make the greatest film in the world. I want to, you know, make this Oscar thing and all that stuff. But to them, they're just like, well, will lots of people see it? Will I make money? Will I make back more money on the investment I put in? And the thing is, is there's nothing wrong with that. And I think like there's this, this weird um, type of thing. And I see it a lot, especially with like, you know, film school kind of mentality. I, I You know, it's like where it's like, if it's not high art, if it's not creative, if it's not a great film, it's shit period. And it's like, yeah. well, I think the thing is, is that if you have that attitude, right. And you, and you want to like, and, and yet you want to kind of work with like people that are producing film. I'm not saying go all the way over to their side and just may be an investor. Yeah. I'm not saying, but also don't expect them to come all the way over your side and think that the film has to be great for it to make sense for them. I think we all got to try to figure out a way to meet in the middle, you know, which ideally that happens. But, um, you know, what gets movies made more is, is movies that make money. So that's why I think we're going to see a lot more, um, crappy movies that actually get a big release. But you know, there's just as many, even when people say that they're making a high art film or something that is, is, is really deep, you you can go to a lot of these film festivals and you can see lots of people that blew their fortunes. Oh yeah. And you can watch their feature and they're just crap. You know what I mean? Oh yeah. I, I remember, uh, a number of years, years back, uh, we went to go and see this one movie, uh, during the Vancouver film festival. And it was, it was getting, it got such high praise at some other like really big festivals and stuff like that. So we went to go and see it and it was terrible. 
Yeah. You wouldn't even be like able he, to find it today. It, oh yeah. No one even knows about it. Yeah. 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 I, I can remember the title in my head just <laughs> because I'm like, yeah. just make sure I don't go and revisit that one again. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's, you know, for me, it's, it's always about no matter what type of movie that you're making, whether you're making, you know, an art house film or you're making a blockbuster, are people going to connect with it? <clears throat> you know, and to dismiss, you know, a lot of the the movies that are being made right now is in some ways to me, it's a little bit ignorant because it's obviously r- resonating with a part of our society right now, mm-hmm. like a part of what's going on in our culture. And right now people are connecting to these types of things and that's, it's not going to stay that way. No. You know, like things, things never stay. I mean, the, there was a whole huge period of time where we were not really seeing comic book movies because mm-hmm. they couldn't really be done very well. And now it's like, because of technology and things like that, they're able to produce some of these things in a way that you can really help these comic books can really sort of come to life. Uh, whether they're, you know, subjectively good or not. Again, I mean, that's, that's for each individual to say, but obviously like people are loving to go and see these types of things right now. Mm -hmm. You raise a good point. I mean, you know, over the, over the decades of film, if you look at the history of film, you can start to see that there was trends, you know, there's things and they've changed over time. And I think sometimes we have this, um, I think like, there's this mentality of like, well, when it was done before it was better, or when it was done in this time, it was better, or this style of cinema is better. But the thing is, is that right now, I mean, yeah, with technology and the way things are changing, you know, you got a lot of the audience wants to go see like certain things that we can do with this technology. And Mm -hmm. they're very interested in that. You know, if we show like if people watch enough things the same way, and they're like, they're kind of like, they'll get eventually get tired of them. You know, you eventually get tired of that and you'll want to see something else. Um, you know, if you just look at like the 80 action movie blowout, right? Like there were so many 80 action movies made. Movies are not made like that anymore. No, but at a, for a period of time, that's what everybody wanted. They wanted this like very like superficial hero that like saves the day against all odds. And like, it's, it's even corny and ridiculous, but that's what people wanted. Yeah. And it had a very sort of like set structure and, you know, and they are, they're beloved films, you know, it's a beloved time. The thing is, and without, I mean, they, they still make those types of movies now, not nearly as much. And it's a, it's a very different market. Mm-hmm. Like those are very, with the exception of maybe like what happened with the Expendables, yeah. something like that, because Expendables was a total, but they were not hiding the fact that like, Hey, we're doing like a throwback action movie. That's why it was what it was. That's why it was what it was. Because but those eighties movies now are B movies. Yeah. Know? And, and when, when it used to be blockbuster and we had, you know, used to rent actual movies, you used to go there and you would see the, the cover and you'd be like, I never saw this come out in theater and it would have some like action star that you used to like. Yeah. And, and, you know, <laughs> and you'd be like, yeah, because like now, like it just doesn't like, it doesn't get that theatrical release cause it's not as big of a deal anymore, but yeah. they could still make money if a box cover and just video on demand release type of idea. Right? Oh yeah. Or rental release. Yeah. So things have changed. Right. And so like now, like right now it's superhero movies and probably a lot of animation and stuff, you know, like, uh, is probably going to surface cause that's where the technology is. And then, yeah. you know, I think, and eventually we're going to want things. I think also what ends up happening too is, 
Like they say that, that part of the film industry always stays the same because a 15 year old today, like 10 or 15 years from now is a 15 year old then, you know yeah. what I mean? 15 year olds are always going to go see movies. So yeah. it's always new to them. So in a lot of ways, um, they're going to want to see the newest, hottest thing. So yeah. that's part of what Hollywood, you know, needs to do to kind of keep those, you know, to keep their eyes on the screen. Right. But I think like for maturing audiences, which is still a big part of the market, we, we want things to get a little deeper, you know? And mm-hmm. so, but we, we become a smaller crowd because if you think about it, like more 15 year olds go to see a movie, well, at least currently, I don't know if this is going to always be this way, but 15 year olds always go see a movie because they get nothing else to do. They can't go out and club and party and go drink, but they want to hang out <laughs> with their friends. So yeah. they all go out and see a movie. Or if you're going to go to a date when you're in high school, you go to a movie or something, right? Yeah. Whereas like people in their like, thirties and whatever, they're married, they have kids. They're like, I can't leave the house. I got the kids to take care of. You yeah. know what I mean? Like, so Ooh, am I going to take yeah. the kid to the movie? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> see something I don't and, really and want. And exactly. Yeah. That's it. They do. They take the kid to the movie and it's what the kid wants to see because they're not going to go, um, you know, take the kid to go see an adult content movie. Yeah. It's not going to happen. Right. So, you know, I think some of the movies that we really like the most, the, just the, the bottom line is they don't have as big of an, as an audience available to them. So they don't, they don't, they're not going to be made for as much money a lot of the time and they're not going to return quite as much money because of that. Right. Or, well, they're not going to return as much money. So it'll be made for less. But like the other thing too, I I wanted to point this out was that when, when, when these studios can put together like hundreds of millions of dollars, whatever, to get these movies made, we get to experience things that no like independent movie maker is ever going to make. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So yeah, they are. They're different experiences. I think that's yeah. that's another really important thing to to get into. I mean, I've seen you know when I think of, and that's honestly like in, independents just have to do sometimes treat similar material in a different way. Uh, I'm trying to think. There was a few years ago there was this sort of superhero movie that came out, it had some rising stars in it, actually, who are now, I think, like, Michael B. Jordan was in it, and uh, I can't remember the other guy's name, um, but he's he's become pretty big. It was like this, these high school kids stumble upon, like, this rock in a cave, and they get superpowers out of it, and, but it was like, an, it was a little independent type film. It was almost like a found footage type Oh, yeah, of yeah, I saw that one. Movie. Uh, yeah, and I'm forgetting what yeah. the name is. Yeah. But, but anyhow, one of the kids kind of turns a little bad. Yeah. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. And, and so that was, that was like a superhero, movie, but they had, they treated the the way that they did it had to be done completely yeah. in another way, which in a lot of ways was an advantage for it. You know, mm-hmm. like they, they had to shoot it in the way that they did because of a limited budget. And that's a beautiful situation of, you know, when, when a budget forces you to get creative with how you do something. Yeah. Well, I think, you know, financial constraints have, have made the most creative filmmakers. I mean, when you have money to solve problems, you don't have to think as much. No. But when you, when you have to think about, okay, how are we going to get around this? What are we going to do? You have to start to be creative. You have to, you know, think about it. And I mean, you know, um, and then you end up showing an audience something they've never seen before. Yeah, totally. Yeah, totally. It's, it's, uh, you know, there's, I, I don't know. I mean, I think that the thing is, is like, you wouldn't, you almost wouldn't, wouldn't want something different unless you had it already there. Like if we never had big blockbuster movies, we wouldn't have anything to compare it against and want yeah. something different. You know what I mean? I think this is the thing we take that for granted. Like, like, and, and it's like this in everything. Like 
the very fact that something is there, we can compare against it. You know what I mean? And I think people define themselves by being defiant to Hollywood, you know? And it's like, it, in a way, I I think, okay, well, it's good that, you know, people want to say, hey, let's like, let's, let's create more, you know, let's be more creative. Let's, let's do, be a little deeper. But I think just being defiant against the industry is not working with the industry. You know what I mean? No. And it's also there, there's a form of control that's within that as, as well. I can't remember this book now. If I, if I can think of it, I'll, I'll talk about it later or, or I'll throw a note up there, but, uh, it was a book somebody had lent me and it was basically saying how, you know, a basic way in which sort of organisms in the world are, and there's either attraction, repulsion, or neutral, essentially. That's like, we're always kind of in a state of that. We want, we don't want, or we're neutral to something. And basically saying that, like, even if like you're, if you're in a state of where you're, you're repulsed by something, you're moving away from something that can have a form of control on you. So Mm. if you deny something, if you're just trying to avoid something, you might actually miss out on something that that actually offers. Right, right. Right. Just because you have some sort of, some sort of a mental block about the whole thing. Yeah, I think that's true. And, and actually, um, I've learned from personal development course I did that defiance is actually, you're being controlled by the thing just in the opposite direction. Exactly. That's you, you put it way more concisely than I did. (laughs) (laughs) That's precisely what I was trying to say. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and that's, yeah, it's, it's true. I think, you know, defiance is, you know, and that I, I, you know, that's the thing is like, there's so many independent filmmakers that will define themselves by defiance. And I think that that's just such a negative for them because yeah, I remember being in film school, which I dropped out of because I thought it was bullshit, but <laughs> <laughs> I was in it and I remember the teacher saying American films, you know, they're all they're doing is commercials and blah, blah, blah. And I remember saying like, yeah, but they're making films over and over and over. And, and, you know, and these independent are, people are making one if, if that, and, that, and never again, you know what I mean? And no one's seeing them. I said like, they're, they're like, and I just was in class and I was like, I'm, I'm not like pro studio, but, but we have to like acknowledge the fact that there's something there that's important. Yeah. You know what I mean? And, and there's and, something there that that's working for them. Yes. I remember when we were in, um, in AFM and we were talking with some different, uh, you know, like different distributors, different independent, uh, companies. And, you know, they were talking to us specifically, you know, being from Canada that they're like, you know, you, you have, you know, we can apply for grant, government grants to make film and stuff like that. That a lot of, Hollywood does not work that way. Right. That that's a completely self-sustaining industry. Yeah. Like there's nobody that are like other than maybe some of the individual tax credits that states offer, but I mean it's not it's a completely different system. These studios don't make are not getting handouts. No. No, especially at the top. I mean like you know, and, uh, the history, which I've, you know, I've read a bit about, and I mean, there's probably someone out there who's much more well-versed than me about it, but just how the studios came to be and how, you know, um, it used to be that they were, I mean, I guess in some ways they're still competing against each other, but they used to be a lot more competing against each other. And the ones that survived, you know, to survive to this point over all these decades, you know, to basically get to this point, you know, they're, the amount of 
information and knowledge and education and awareness that the people who are running these massive, like they're massive mm-hmm. companies, um, you know, and it, it's there, you know, there's, there's room for risk, but, but risk needs to be limited to a certain degree, right? Like I think when, when you, when you talk about like, I think the beauty of independent film and I, I like independent film. I don't want to sound like I'm all pro studio. I yeah. like independent and you know, I, I've talked to a lot of producers. I, one in particular right now who does a lot of independent and is now doing his uh, first studio picture, his first big studio picture. Yeah. And he's been telling me a lot about how the process works. And one thing that a lot of people don't realize is that when you're doing a studio picture, you get big names attached, but you're getting tied up for literally years. Your project's tied up sometimes. I mean, maybe it's different for some people, mm-hmm. but it can be tied up for years. You just, this whole thing, and, and, it's, and it's a very long, drawn-out process. You're very, you can be very removed from it. You know, there's a lot of other people that come in that have a, a voice over it. Um, whereas with an independent, what's really neat about doing it this way, obviously you can do it on a lower budget and less people, but you have a lot more say over your project, a lot more control. It gets done quicker. So I think the thing is, is that both of these things exist. Not one's not better than the other. You know, it just depends like, you know, like, do you want to do like, I think you'll never be a studio picture film person if you don't understand what the studio needs to work. You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? Um, and furthermore, even if you thought you could get in there and change it, they're not just going to let you in and be like, okay, do whatever you want. That's not going to happen. There's going to be so much like management over you. Like when you first, you're going to have to learn how to play ball before they're going to give you any freedom. You know what I mean? Like, it's not like you're just going to come in and you're going to be like, oh, you're the next big thing. Like even the biggest directors in the world. And I bet if you sat them down and talked to them, which hopefully we do one day, we can talk to them a little bit about what their studio experience is because you would probably be surprised at how much less control they have than is projected on the media. Oh yeah. And you, and these are established veterans. Yeah. Uh, a great book is conversations with Scorsese, Mm. which is a terrific book, like a really like a candid, candid sort of conversation style piece of writing Mm -hmm. essentially. Uh, yeah, it was, and it's really, it's just written as, as these conversations and, and even, uh, even Martin Scorsese in, in these interviews a few times saying like, I don't know if I'm going to do another studio picture, you mm. know, like he doesn't know if he wants that, that thing. Cause there's a difference for him, you yeah. know, even, even at this level, yeah. you know, a guy who's as proven as he is, he's, he, there's, and I won't say it's like necessarily for better or for worse. It's just, it's a different type of thing. Yeah. You know, because again, there is something that these, that being, having a big studio involved can open up certain, certain doors for you. It can, it gives you some freedoms that you might not have otherwise. Like if you have some sort of, you know, avatar esque style, (laughs) style vision, how the hell else are you going to do it? Yeah. It's just not going to happen. I mean, for me, the big thing is still across the board is, is, you know, the, the craft of the storytelling, how well crafted is the story? You know, when I go to see it, it, and it is sometimes it's about managing your expectations. When I go to see a big, huge blockbuster movie at the theater, like I'm not expecting them to give me Birdman, you know, or, or something along those lines. But 
I am still looking for a well-crafted story. Right. You know, it doesn't have to completely rewrite the whole book on the genre that it's in, mm-hmm. but I do like to see a few things that I don't expect. Yeah. Like a couple of things that I, I didn't see coming because of how I'm trained these movies go. Yeah. Right. Give me something I didn't see coming and still give me like a well-crafted story. Yeah. With good characters. Right. Right. If you give me that, then Hey, thumbs up for me. (laughs) Well, you know, what's really interesting is you bring up such a great point because in the independent world of filmmaking story in, 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 and someone might argue with me, but like I'll say, I think story in so many ways is, 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 is so paramount because in the independent world, you, your demand of having a good story is so important. But in the studio world, a great story is not necessarily as important. And the reason why is because what's more important is that the concept in the world yes. is so much more important. I mean, the thing is, is this, like, I don't, I think a lot of people don't realize like it used to be like back in the day when, uh, this, the, the, the time of the spec script, you know, basically what happened is writers would write spec scripts. They write on spec, they come up with new concept, new script, new story ideas. The studios would just buy them up. So, so screenwriters were selling scripts. A lot of them never made. A lot of them sold scripts or got optioned or whatever, but never got made. Yeah. And this is apparently what was happening was all the studios were buying up all the scripts because they didn't want the other studios to get them. They wanted to get them first. So Mm -hmm. it didn't really even matter. They had um, not as much of a vetting process. So a lot of the screenwriting books that people read today are based on that spec script time. So people are teaching you how to write a spec script, but for the eighties and nineties, it does, it's not the same anymore. That's really, the world has changed. Yeah. I mean, we were sitting in that filmmaking school or whatever, doing that table reading. I looked around, I'm like, this is all based on like 1990 education. This is out of date. Yeah. Like the world doesn't really (laughs) work that way anymore. And it's crazy because people saw people get success that way. And they're like, Oh, well they must be teaching me the way, but they're teaching you an out of date thing. It doesn't matter how well you learn that you're not going to succeed as a screenwriter because you're, they're like, it's like if they sent you back to the 1990s or late eighties, you'd probably do fine. Yeah. But we're in 2000, you know, like nearly 2020, like we're, we're in an entirely different time now. So, so people don't realize that. And so right now studios, and, and I think a little bit more independent, like, cause there's more of a, like independence never used to really be able to do the sci-fi and visual effects, but now they can. So there's a lot of visual effects companies becoming independents, right? Yeah. And so what, what they want more now is more of the concept. They want more of the world. They want more of the, you know, and it's not to say that like, you know, for example, you know, your script that uh, on the highway, which, which I love, it's, it's a really solid story. It's not about the concept so much, you know? that will work independently. But from like a studio point of view, that's almost an afterthought. You know what I mean? And yeah. I think that's why when we watch studio movies, sometimes you get this movie that's a big blockbuster just made and the story just kind of was like half baked a little, mm-hmm. but the world was, you got to admit the world and the, and the concept was really cool. Oh yeah. Right. Cause like, I mean, I just think of like Batman Superman, which is not at all my favorite movie, but <laughs> I enjoyed it for what it was. And I really tried to think about, okay, well, Batman Superman, just the idea of putting those two, two together, right. Against each other. Yeah. It was an interesting idea. That's like that. If, if you understand that that's how the nature of studio movies get made a little more, right. Because 
people, it's more about the wonder, I think, you mm-hmm. know, whereas independent is more about the actual story. So that's why I think like when the two meet, it's beautiful, Oh yeah. you know, but it's rare because they both have different demands, you know, like the independent world really doesn't care about all your visual effects if your story isn't there. But then the studio world in, in many ways, those big blockbusters, people in the mass don't care so much if the story is there, if there's no visual effects and yeah. no world wonder, you know? But the thing is, and, and I know we've, we've talked about this a lot, you know, there's still, there's still a lot that, you know, a big, a big movie can benefit from making sure that story is, is really well crafted. I mean, I, I feel like if there's no matter what you feel about the, the movie, but when I feel like the, when the dark Knight came out when the second one in the, in the Christopher Nolan Batman trilogy came out, that was a game changer mm. because it, it changed and exceeded what we expected so far. Like right. it was so far beyond what we expected from a superhero comic book film. Like it was dealing with so many themes. It was such, it was such a, a incredibly crafted and, and like interwoven like story with incredible acting and incredible characters that were in it. And yeah. it just blew people's minds because it went, it went beyond, but it still gave us the world yeah. of Batman, you know, it still gave us all of those things. So, you know, that, that is maybe one of those types of films where you go like, yeah, that was where it all kind of came together for like the right mix. You know, and there's, uh, you know, you're, you're, I totally agree with you. I mean, I, I think what ends up happening is you get people who like you take Christopher Nolan, who's made a certain way in his career. You take, you know, Heath Ledger at the time who'd made a certain way in their career. I'm sure there's other people who had made a certain way in their career and they came together and they figured out how to do that. And I think, you know, that those are game changers. Like I think like the Heath Ledgers of the world and the Johnny Depp's of the world, like, like those two guys, they, they literally changed and altered what's allowed in the, in the studio industry. Yeah. I mean, because if you know anything about Johnny Depp's Pirates of the Caribbean, they didn't like his performance of it. They didn't like what he was doing. Yeah, they, they were really scared. Apparently. Over the top. Yeah. Right. And, uh, maybe they used that as a marketing ploy. I don't know, but you know, um, I know that with like Heath Ledger, it was, it was, it was very out there. It was very different. Right. And the thing is, is that that showed in many ways that it's okay to take a little more risks, you know, to have the, 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 the characters and the bad guys or whatever not yeah. be as safe. You know what I mean? And so I think what, what we're not going to change the whole thing overnight, but I think like we need to have people that work within the system, but are willing to go in there and try and have a voice. And this is where I think this talk is so important. You know, this, this artistic integrity we're talking about, because yeah. it's like, how do you meet it where it's at, but have the integrity to kind of have a voice within it, but not be defiant because integrity is not defiance. That's not integrity in my no, opinion. You know, no. that's just, that's just arrogance and ignorance. You know, like defiance is, is like, you know, I mean, you got to meet the industry in rapport. You got to like, you're never going to change anybody or help anybody change unless you meet them where they're at and then work with them from there. And I think what, you know, I think what this talk is at least pointing out to me right now and it's reminding me more and more is that we, you know, you meet people where they're at, 
you, 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 that's okay. It's not that it's a problem. And then you try to add and help and improve upon that. You yeah. don't say you're wrong. I, I don't like what you're doing. So, you know, basically do it my way. And then the other person's like, no, you're wrong. Do it my way. And then you just have two people fighting. Yeah. And that's what I see like with the independent filmmaker and the kind of um, financial producer of film. And that's what I see. I see two people that, that are both kind of like thinking they're right. And it, it takes the bigger man or the bigger woman to go and say, listen, I totally get where you're coming from. Now, now that you feel safe, now that you know that I understand you, now that this is okay, why don't you come and look at it more my way and see it this way? And both people grow. It's beautiful, right? Mm -hmm. That's what I'm seeing out of this talk. I think what, what, you know, when people, when you complain about something, I don't, instead of complaining about it, meet it where it's at. That's the only way you're going to help change it. Because if we just, you know, sit back and go, oh, that thing's shit. Yeah. You know, that doesn't work. Yeah. I mean, it's, yeah, you, you've sort of like, it's like you're, you've washed your hands clean of it. Like you've, you, you know, you've, you know, flipped off, like given a big old finger to like whoever this person is. And, and then you're just complaining and like, you think that's going to change anything? No, no, it's not going to change anything. It's probably just going to make them like that person even more sort of like stubborn about their own views on things. Yeah. More us and us versus them situation. Yeah. Yeah. I think the thing is, is, you know, um, it's interesting, right? Like it's, uh, you know, meeting people, meeting people where they're at, you know, is, is, it's funny that we're not really taught that we're really taught, you know, and I think this is a media, you know, and, and people have an agenda with this, you know, just my opinion, but they want, there's people who benefit off of us thinking us versus them. But what the problem is, is it works, you know, maybe government control over society and things like that. It works, but it permeates into our art. It permeates into the way we do our life and it permeates into our personal relationships. And, you know, if we all just realized, Hey, we're all in this together. We all share, the same things. I mean, like you could say we all share the same earth, but we all share the same film industry. I mean, we're all in this together. If you go and raise money for a film and you screw someone over, that's partly on me. That's partly, that hurts me. Anyone out there that goes and raises money for a film and they screw someone over in a way that affects me because I'm someone that goes out and raises money. Now, if I interact with that person after this has happened, they're going to be like, no, I had a bad experience. And this is a shame because now a, you know, a, a film isn't like, or it's not easily as financeable, you know, because yeah. someone out there in the world was burned by it. So I think like what we all need to do, and I mean, there's going to be, there's going to be people out there that regardless of this talk or whatever, they're going to be like, I don't care. I'm going to do it my way. I only care about me. There's going to be people like that. Um, and I think like if I interacted with someone like that, I'd be like, okay, what, like, I get it. You're, that's how you look at life. Why do you feel that way? It's okay. You know, for some reason for you, you feel like I need to look out for me only. And then everything else is secondary somewhere in their life. It's not like they're a bad person. They just came across enough experience. And the thing is it takes someone with compassion to meet them, to even have them have the chance to like open up because probably everyone else is like, Oh, you're selfish. You're a jerk. Get lost. You know, and that person just reinforces more of this selfish identity they have. You know what I mean? But I think like, you know, okay, here, I'm, I'm going to mention something else like Hillary Clinton, for example, but she, but you know, it's just an argument that she has, which I really don't like where, where people are like, well, 
you know, released your transcripts or whatever for the talk you had with, you know, Goldman Sachs or whatever, or whoever, you know, big financial. And she's like, well, I'll do it when everyone else does it. And it's the worst argument in the world. Like, that's not a leader. No. That's someone saying, you know what? If you all do it, then I'll, then I'll be in my integrity. No, you got to be in your integrity as a leader to show everyone else what they do, whether they do it as well or not is irrelevant. It's about who you're being in the world. Mm-hmm. She's in my opinion, that's like, you know, and she, and that's just a, that's a, that's a misguided leadership quality. And maybe she's protecting and hiding something. And if she is, you know, we need people to call her out and say, that's not a good argument. That's, that's like, like, it's basically like if we were in the film industry and someone says, you know, um, be inclusive of everyone else. Then they go, well, I'll do it when everyone else is inclusive of me. It's like, well, things are never going to change if we have that attitude. Just be and do the way you want the world to be. And it, and we will evolve that way. It will be one person at a time and it will be someone taking the risk when everyone else is stealing. For example, you go, I'll stop stealing when everyone else stops stealing. No, stop stealing period. And then you know what? You're one less person who's stealing. That's good. That's it. You know what? And if one other person does it too, amazing. Like we're a little bit more ahead, but like if everybody just says, I'll stop stealing when everyone else stops stealing, it's the the worst argument in the world. Oh yeah. Worst. Yeah. It's like, what do you, it doesn't show any sort of quality of character or where you stand on anything. No, it's no character. It's zero character. Yeah. It's total, it's total lack of responsibility. Like exempting yourself from the equation. Mm -hmm. It's not looking at your effects as, as a model, you know, and, and it's a shame, you know, like it's a shame when, um, you know, it's a shame when someone stands up on stage and, and unfortunately, you know, that happens. And I don't necessarily mean that she's wrong because maybe in her world, that seems like a legitimate argument, Mm -hmm. you know, and it doesn't matter if you're the, the leader of the free world or whatever, you know, president of the United States or whatever, it doesn't matter. Everybody's fallible. But I think what, you know, as humanity, the more in integrity we all are, the more we'll all keep each other in integrity. But since we're all so out of integrity in so many ways, we don't know how to like call people out. Like if we were in integrity in society, we would see that we would see, um, like say shady behavior and, and it would be very identifiable, right? Because basically you would just go, Hey, you know, what's going on there? That's weird right? But it works the reverse. When everybody's being shady and someone's in integrity, all the people who are shady also can look, well, hey, you know, like we look at Bernie Sanders, for example, I'm not like saying pro whatever, but one thing I like about Bernie right now is that he's showing that it's possible to do a campaign without big money, without big banks, without being backed by the system, Yeah. which it just, even if he loses the whole race, it, he's, he's won in a way because he's shown everyone, Hey, it's possible. Just mm-hmm. like when Johnny Depp did that role in pirates, he showed, Hey, everyone, it's a possible to be a character yeah. actor as a lead in a big major motion studio picture, you know? So that's, that's my argument. <laughs> <laughs> that's good. We're comparing Bernie Sanders and Johnny Depp. And you know what? That's not, you, you made that one work. <laughs> and for a second, I was like, this seems like it might be a bit of a labored <laughs> comparison, but actually, no, no, that's not actually a stretch. No, I hear what you're saying. And I want to touch this back on, you know, something we've been talking about for the last couple podcasts, you know, start to look at bridging the gap. You know, if you feel like you're divided, try and find a way that you're not divided from somebody. You know, if you're, 
if you're trying to do something artistic in, in your medium and, and you're working with somebody who's, you know, a, a business oriented person, ask how you can help, ask you how you can help that person, you know, and, and they can help you. Mm-hmm. Right. But you know, like in, in the film industry, it's just like, okay, well, listen, I understand you, you know, you have a lot of people who've invested a lot of money into this project. You know, how can I, how can I help you? through what I'm doing. Like I'm involved in this, like to a large extent, how can I help you? You know, you're right. I mean that, I think that's the master key, man. I think that is literally the key to opening up every door because when we're in such a, and we talked about this in the last podcast, but we're in such a take, take, take society. And, and I, I, you know what, I'm as guilty as the next person because in my younger years, I was so much of a taker, you know, and I'm, I'm in some ways, embarrassed to say it, but in other ways, I, I acknowledge it. I just acknowledge it as, uh, as a, as a lesson of my growth and my evolution, you know, but because we're in a take, take, take society, we don't realize that, um, people, people who are maybe ahead of us or people who are part of this can use our help as well. I had the shift. I remember when I was about 17 or 18 and, um, it didn't take effect immediately. It, I'd say it took effect several years later, but I remember my dad saying to me, cause you know, he had, he, he had the house, he, he was feeding me, he was helping me go to college, all this stuff. And I remember him saying one day, he's like, you never ask what I need. You know, you never ask how you can help me. And it hit me suddenly. I was like, you're right. Like I don't, I just look at how you can give me this and you can give me that. And it was like a slap in the face of just like, Hey, and I realized I never even at that point in my life, and you know, little entitlement on my part, but I never realized that he, he could even use my help. I didn't even think that I could help him, you know, until he pointed that out. And I realized, I think that was one of the best lessons he ever taught me. I don't even know if he realized how, how much he taught me a lesson, but I would say like all my mentorship and, and the things that I've gained out of that were because I started to realize, Hey, maybe I need to go and help people as opposed to being the one that's always trying to get from them. You know, so what a, a painfully beautiful lesson. But, uh, you know, I think we don't all have to learn it that painfully. <laughs> yeah. We don't have to, like, be caught in the act of it <laughs> with so, your hand in the yeah. cookie jar. <laughs> so, like, to move this around, like, in, you know, for, so maybe if, I, I'm, I'm just going to theorize here. So maybe if you're a person, you know, you're in the film industry, you've got this stigma about the studio system and the blockbuster movie, you know, maybe instead of looking at it as something that it's like, Oh, we've got to fix this. We've got to change this. We've got to, you know, maybe deep down, but like maybe the, the better question is like, how can I help this industry? Yeah. How can I help this industry? You know, because it does, it has certain, there are certain demands that, that are, that are on it, you know, like there, and I would say like, I, I would probably have my own expectations of going to see a blockbuster film. You know, that like, if I didn't get, get it from, from this blockbuster, I'd be like, what the hell was that? (laughs) You know, there's certain things that I do actually want from it, that it, that I want it to deliver to me, Mm -hmm. you know, but I guess not everybody has the same expectations, but it is, it's when you, when you imagine, like when I watch an independent film versus when I watch, like I have completely different ideas of what I want from it. And I think it's important that when you're approaching 
a big sort of look at it doing a, a large budget picture of, you know, th- there's, it definitely has room to grow. It definitely has room to grow, but it has its own, it has its own treasures about mm-hmm. it that are, are, are just terrific. You know, like yeah. there's like, there's big studios have put out some, some pretty great stuff over the last couple of years. I'm like, Hey, that was, that was really great stuff. Yeah. Guardians of the galaxy I thought was a fantastic in that sense. Yeah. Um, fun. Yeah, so much fun, and and delivered me some like a, a experience that I'd never had before. Totally, totally. You know, I, um, it's interesting. I like the I like the framing of the question. You know, where you said, uh, "How can I how can I help the industry?" I, I think that's such a. I mean, when I say when I ask myself that question, it's, it's it feels good. You know, I feel like I'm contributing. I feel like, you know, I'm looking at how I can, you know how I can be a better. And it also is a, is a question from the place of abundance. Cause when you yeah. ask how to help, it already pre assumes that you have the ability to help, that you have stuff taken care of that you would even want to help. Did I you mean, have something of value? Yeah, exactly. And I think that that's a much better question than to think about how do I get where I want to be? Or yeah. how do I, you know, how do I, how do I achieve this or accomplish yeah. that or whatever? Right. Or because, how much you hate it how yeah, much or you how much you hate it, which yeah. is even even worse. That's like another level down. You know, yeah. if you're talking about how you hate it. Yeah. I mean, it's like you it's, hate it so much. How can you help it? Right. Totally. You know, and the other thing too is every movie to some degree, I, I think needs, needs a champion. It needs someone that's willing to kind of believe in it and take charge with it, you know? Um, and I think a lot of movies get made, they get made, they get completed, they get finished, but they don't really have a champion. They don't really have someone who really believes in it or they did. And then that person stopped believing in it or whatever. I think the challenge of making a film and ultimately making a good film is about someone on board who's really going to kind of rally and, and be that. And I think, uh, if you, I, I don't know. Like, I don't know if that ever, that ever really changes no matter how much money or how much is a part of it. I mean, someone needs to believe that this makes sense. And I think that there's, you know, it's a reality of the industry. There's, I was having a talk with someone who, um, you know, has a film that's going to con or whatever. And, uh, they were talking about their executive producer who was a financer, like, you know, put money in. And this person didn't, the, the financer wants to help, but doesn't even understand anything really about the industry. Yeah. You know, they don't know anything about it. And, and, uh, and I was meeting with one of my financers actually this last weekend and yeah, they're, they're just like, well, how do we do this? What do we do? You know, they don't know. And I think what we forget sometimes is we assume that other people know about this industry. Like there's so many people who are involved in this industry that know like so little about it. And like, I think that we have this kind of weird assumption that like, well, because I know everybody knows or everybody knows or whatever, I've always been passionate about it. So I know, and you know, you got to remember there's a lot of people who do very well in this industry who are very high up, who don't know as much as you might think they know, Yeah. you know, they, they, they just know how to hire the right people yeah. around them. Well, there's so many moving pieces on yeah. a production. Exactly. Like, it's impossible. It's, it's impossible to know every little nuance to every single job that goes on. Do you think a director of a picture knows exactly what an animator is doing on their picture? No. The director just goes like, oh, I want this shot to look like this. Yeah. 
Yeah. It doesn't know what that necessarily, like what that on a day to day, like some guy showing up or some guy or some girl showing up in front of a computer. <laughs> yeah. And like tinkering with this stuff. That's what they do. Yeah. And I mean, right? there might be, you know, there's, I think that's the, you know, that's the big lesson that I, that I've been learning in my life more and more as I move forward is just that you need to relinquish control, you know, because you know, the more control you have in a sense, the smaller you keep something, you know, once things get bigger, it, there are too many moving pieces to control, you know, you don't, and, and that it's this wonderful interdependent thing, you know, when you start to realize like, Hey, everybody's doing their job to the best that they can. And, you know, I might want it to be better or different or whatever, but I think with the studio picture, what's, what's kind of amazing about that whole thing is that nobody's in control. And like, so there's so little control that it's amazing. It works consistently. Yeah. You know, it's amazing that they can continue to make movies with, you know, I watch some of those castless or not castless. I mean, credits of oh, the movie. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, it's still going. I'm like, oh my God, how many people were involved in this? You know, you think like, I mean, the biggest production I've ever run was 123 people you don't know what's going on. Like on the other side of set, you're focused on what you're doing. And like, even like being like a producer and director on that type of project, you know, people are off doing stuff. You oh, don't yeah. know. And like, you can't micromanage that. You're, you're not going to be able to tell them, no, I wanted it to be this way. I want it to be that way in a certain way as a, as a visionary, you just have to simply say, okay, this is kind of, this is the idea. This is what I want. This is the feel I'm going for. Achieve that. And then they, they do that and they go off and they achieve that. You know what I mean? And when you come and you see it, um, often I found more often than not, I feel like I was working with really good people, but more often than not, I would show up and I would be surprised. I would be like more than impressed. They did it better than I even thought. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like they, they took my note and then they added their own flair to it because like a person who's, for example, in set deck, which is kind of what I'm referring to here, they love set deck. That that's what they love. Yeah. They love designing the set. I have an idea of how the set will look, but they like the details. They like figuring out the feel, the the nuance. Their mind works that way. So, you know, I don't even pretend to even have an iota of understanding about how to do that job to the degree that they're doing it. They've yeah. mastered that, you know. Um, so it's it's a really interesting thing. And I that's a really small scale, like you know, on a studio level, like you're dealing with that probably times 10 times, a hundred times a thousand, oh, yeah. I don't know, right? Thousands of people involved. Oh yeah. Thousands. And yeah, and it's, it's a thing about, about trust, you know, trusting in, in other people. And, and I, th- I still feel like that helps that, that comes into the, our, this thing of, of helping, you know, you, you ask somebody who's in set deck, all right, how, how can I help you? Like, because, you know, you, you have your own thing that you're, you're focused on that you get into the specifics about that you have your passion about. And if you can see how you can help people in, in just like the little ways and just like, whether that's just direction, you know, but you ask people how you can help them. And the thing is, is that it helps you. I yeah. like we talked about that in the last one. It's like, yeah. it will help you totally because by helping someone else, they're going to better be able to understand what it is that you're looking for, that what your vision is, like, especially in, in an artistic medium, you know, they're, they're, when you help them, they're better able to help you right? as well. 
totally. as opposed to fighting for stuff all the time yeah. or going into something with an attitude of, I'm going to have to hold my ground and fight for every inch. Mm-hmm. Right. Like that's, that's so stressful. So stressful. You know, it's such a stressful illness. And you know, I, I, I feel that like, you know, if you're not, if you're not in a state of joy, it means that you're, it means that there's an error in your thinking mm. about something. You know, I, like, I, I feel like you, like as human beings, we want to be in a happy, joyful state at all times, <laughs> right? The things that get in the way of that are usually, you know, when you break them down, they're usually kind of nonsense. They're kind of egotistical nonsense about stuff. And, and that's usually when you hear people starting to like, oh, I've got to hold my ground on this. And like, you know, people, you know, and we've, I've, I do this all the time and, and I'm trying to, to be more aware of it. And, and I'm sure anyone can relate to this, but you know, you prep, you have these imaginary conversations with yourself about like a conversation you're going to have with somebody later on, <laughs> you know, yeah. and you're already preparing for a fight. <laughs> it's like, that's all. And, and you're getting all worked up about it. Yeah. Right. And it's like, well, what if you went into a situation, you know, where, where you realize that like you need to have a conversation with somebody, somebody about something, but coming from a place that was like, okay, how can I help you? Mm-hmm completely take the attention off of this whole concept of, okay, like I've got to defend myself. Yeah. Because when you go come in from a place of helping, there's no need to defend yourself. There's no need. You know, you know, the power of, of helping too is, is like, it's unreal. I mean, you know, the thing is, is I think that people, people really want to, you know, we, we, when we care about something, we want to make it better. We, we want to help each other. I think that, you know, unless there's something really kind of strange going on in our life, for the most part, I think that we like the idea of people accepting us and liking us and, um, you know, and all that. And I'm not saying that that we should go for that, um, in and of itself, but if someone comes out of their way and they say, you know, Hey, like, if, if someone comes out of their way and say, Hey, you did this wrong, you know, you're going to, you're going to have a certain response to it. But if someone comes in over to you and says, you know, you know, so this didn't work out exactly the way I wanted. Um, what were you thinking and trying to understand you and what you were doing? You might go, well, this is what I was thinking or whatever. And you might go, okay, well, this is what I was thinking. You know, how, how do we kind of work something out here? How do we figure this, you know, figure this out? The person feels heard. They feel whatever, like, you know, actually with um, the soldiers of the apocalypse, you know, a lot of people would ask me like, well, how do you get so many people involved? It, partly it was helping. Another thing that I did a lot on set, and, and this is uh, something I established from the beginning was if even a PA came up to me, someone who was just kind of doing some little grunt work who didn't know nothing and had an idea, I would really make an effort to try and hear what their idea was and, and, and make sure they felt heard. Didn't know if we would use it or not. Sometimes I think we actually maybe did, but they felt like they were contributing. And, um, what I, what I consistently found from a lot of people's experiences, they felt they were a part of the project. They felt they were part of the family. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And people would often refer to it as a family. And we ran that project for a long time. And to maintain that morale was, you know, a big thing. And I think that that's a big thing. You know, if people feel heard, they're a lot more ready to invest themselves. You know, it's when you kind of get shut out and kind of, you know, told what to do and, and, and not acknowledge. I think that's where we get frustrated and it doesn't just need to be a film. I mean, it could, you could be in an intimate relationship. If you're with someone and they don't care how you feel about something, 
you know, I don't know how long you're going to stay with them before you recognize, Hey, this is abusive. You know what I mean? And I, it's weird because I think like, you know, with our school system, sometimes not, not all teachers, I think things are changing. I've had some great teachers, but sometimes it's an abusive school system because, you know, I've had teachers where it's kind of like, just do what you're told. It's like, well, why, why? I don't know. <laughs> like, like I don't, I, and, and you know, it's, it's interesting because from my family model was don't just do what you're told. Think about it first. Decide if it makes sense for you. You know, it's like very critical. Mm-hmm. Think critically. Don't just follow. Don't do what everyone else does. I had a teacher say to me once, and I think I shared this before. They said, just do what everyone else is doing. Like, that's the worst teaching you could ever give me. Because now what you're teaching me as, a, and you know, I didn't, and, and I wish, you know, I almost wish I could go back to that moment and, and, and tell this person this, you know, and I, I, I would love it if they heard it. <laughs> But it's like, if you, if let's just, let's just consider this for a moment. If you teach me a kid to do what everyone else is doing, just think about how you're setting up the rest of my life. Oh yeah. Okay. So if everyone else is doing a good thing, great. Your model works just fine. But now what if everyone's doing a bad thing? Like for example, the Vancouver riots or something like that. Just do what everyone else is doing. That's what you told me, right? Mentor, (laughs) teacher, coach. No, that's not good. What you want to do as a mentor and a teacher and a coach is you want to go, you want to explain, this is why. Think about, think about it. This is why it would be good for you to do this right now. You know what I mean? And, and it might take a little more time. It might take a little more effort, but now what you've done is you only have to tell me once. Yeah. Right. As opposed to some real learning has actually occurred. Exactly. <laughs> and, you've, and you've built me as a human being, not just a drone. Right. So fortunately I think people become, and I talked about defiance earlier. I think I became defiant to authority for a lot of my younger years because I saw authority as just do what you're told in a lot of ways. So I just defied it. I was like, no, I'm not going to do what I'm told. In fact, it wasn't that I wasn't going to not do it. It was just that if you tell me to do it, I'm really going to stop and think. So in a sense, like I built this mentality of just stop, just don't, don't do it. Think first, decide for yourself. And so you know, I found like, uh, you know, I stood up to a GM at a, at a restaurant that I was working at once that he didn't like that. You know what I mean? But, <laughs> but I was, you know, in certain, certain ways I was just like, no, I'm not going to be told what to do. So I think like there's a certain, I think a lot of people do what they're told because it's just kind of like, I'll just do what I'm told. Cause I don't want to think about it. I don't want to cause any trouble. I want to keep my job. I want to do whatever. Um, whereas a defiant person, you might get fired. You know what I mean? You might get, um, and it doesn't always work, but I think what, it's not just do what you're told and it's not be defiant. It's about, it's about trying to find that middle ground of like, okay, why, why, you know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, and, and for me, you know, it's interesting. I think that a lot of this whole thing of, you know, when you're defiant against do what you're told, I think that means that there, there's a level of trust that hasn't been established yet. Yes. Because, you know, I've been in a classroom before and I know through teaching the Meisner technique that, people don't necessarily always understand what's going on, but if they, you know, if, if people aren't going to listen to what I'm telling them, then I can't really, then I can't really help them either at the same time. So a lot of, I need the trust of people. And and it's like, like you, you don't necessarily understand what's going on right now, but you will. Right. Like, but you've got to, you know, you've got to just sort of listen to me for right now. Right. But otherwise I, you know, I totally agree that people need to 
think. I mean, if people don't think before and, and, and they just do whatever, like there's countless history to show yeah. how that has been disastrous. Yeah. You know, people just following yeah. and not thinking for themselves. Totally. The Nazis. Yep. <laughs> yeah, That's no, like I'm the first one that springs to mind. Right? But, uh, you, you know, it's, it's an interesting thing because, you know, also I think what we walk, we walk along the line as artists. Um, we walk along this very thin veil between trust and faith because, you know, to dream, to think big is to have faith because you don't know if that's possible yet. You know, if you're dreaming or thinking or having a vision that's anything beyond what someone has also already done verbatim, um, you're, you're going into the unknown. You don't know. You have to have faith, right? So um, when people say, like, I trust myself, you can only trust yourself of what you've already done and proven you can do. But you have to have faith into yourself that when the time comes, I will rise to the challenge. It's different. And I think, like, um, you know, you're not just talking about trust. You're talking about inspiring faith in your in your classmates. I mean, you know, um, I think trust is partly you prove, you, you give a certain amount of proof. Okay, now I have trust. But if you give me proof and then there's a certain amount of consistency where I can go beyond that that proof. And I can say, you know what? I have faith that this will work out. As you say, yeah. you've proven enough to me that I, I don't know if it will, but I believe it will, you know? Yeah. And I think that, um, this is a good topic for us to talk about. And maybe it's another discussion. I'm not sure, but, um, we need to have trust in the process, but also and trust in who we work with. And we need to build up with each other. But at a certain point, we also need to be, from that trust is be willing to have faith. Mm-hmm. You know, we need to be willing to believe in things and you know what? It might not work out. Like I think faith is a huge risk because like, for example, having faith in God, right? It's like, well, what if you, you spent your whole life having faith in this belief and then you found out that it wasn't real? I mean, that's a scary thought. You know, people don't even want to consider that. Yeah. But faith is a courageous move when it's done with awareness. When it's done with ignorance, it's not that very, it's not very courageous. It's kind of just blind. But, um, when you do it with, with, with a sense of like, you know what? I know very, very full well that this might not work out the way I'm hoping, but I'm willing to believe in the possibility that will. And I think that informs your behavior moving forward. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. We, I know we've sort of, uh, moved away here. We'll, we'll, we'll come back to, uh, some stuff. I'll just talk about the beer here for I a I was just second. sick in that. I'm glad you did. As uh, I was drinking. Yes. <laughs> um, so this is um, another one just from our, uh, from, Bra- uh, not Brassneck. We love you, Brassneck. Um, this one is from Steel and Oak. Uh, and this is their uh, Royal City Pale Ale. Royal City Pale Ale. Royal City Pale Ale. This is, uh, yeah, this one is one of their staples that they've got. This has been like, if you show up, they've always got this one. Uh, and it's one that has been one of the most popular hmm. sort of ones. So it's, it's good. Like it's got like, a, just refresh my palate here. <laughs> it's, it's real easy to drink. It's an easy drink. You know, you know, it's one of the beers um, that we've had on the show where I find it's uh, simply like, kind of like, I don't know how to describe this. I don't know the right wordage. I'm not sure, but you kind of taste it right away. And then there's no real aftertaste. It's kind of like there. And it's very like, I find a little bit, not really, but kind of like citrusy, kind of like, uh, um, 
like the carbonation kind of hits you, you know? Yeah, no, it's, it's really refreshing, crisp. It has, does it have a little bit of, yeah, it's very dry. Does it have a little bit of a a hop to it? A little bit. Like it's not like a, not like an IPA where you like really feel the hops, but Mm -hmm. like it, like it kind of like that first sip, I feel like it's kind of like hoppy, but like it's gone like immediately. Yeah. It's got a little bit of something to, so it's not just like, you know, cheap beer, which yeah. You know, like you drink it and then like it has, you know, cheap beer often has some of those things of it's like, okay, well, it's just, it doesn't really draw too much attention to itself. Um, you know, you just kind of drink it. You don't even really know what you're drinking. This one has a little something for you to taste, like your taste buds to grab onto, but then it's, but then it vanishes. Yeah. Which keeps you kind of. <laughs> it keeps you kind of wanting more. Keeps you drinking. You know That's the interesting <laughs> thing about this beer is, is because it's so, it's got that dryness and it's so quick you kind of keep, you want to almost take like three sips. I've been noticing that every time I have a sip, I have like three sips because <laughs> I'm like, I want to kind of keep the taste going. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's interesting. It's yeah. Like, it's a good one. It's they, a good one. They did a good job. So this is one of that. their, their winners for sure <laughs> over there. Um, so let's, let's project for a moment here. Sure. What do you think? What do you think the next trend is? In the, in the big studio, in the big studio system, well, in the blockbuster. I mean, my, th- my theory is that we're going to get into, we're going to get into more into the 4D world, um, you oh, know, okay. beyond 3D. Um, I think with this whole thing about, uh, you know, the whole vision, uh, what, what do they call it? Where you, you virtual reality, virtual reality that's coming on and they, they beginning to, you know, your seats move and shake and whatever. Um, and the, you know, the way technology is going, I think this 4d experience is something that we're going to start venturing into. Um, so things might rely a little bit less on the visual wow, which they're doing now, which I, I think the visual wow is going to hang in there for a little bit. Yeah. Um, visual wow has always been a thing in, in cinema. I mean, let's yeah. be honest, the I spectacle, mean, it is you know, a spectacle. even from like I mean, Ben Hur. Yeah. You know, something like that. In its own time, it's always been a visual spectrum that I don't really believe is ever going to change. It's going to, it's going to change, but it's never going to, that's always going to be an element that's important. Sound is always going to be an element of cinema that is really important. And, you know, um, I don't know if you heard about this, but there's headphones now, and and this is going to, there's going to be a slew of headphones that come out eventually after this, but they actually, um, like when you listen to something, it's like the radius in if you turn your head, it's like you're hearing it more in your, your oh, right or left ear. Yeah, like, yeah. And it actually calibrates to your specific ear and the, and the distance of your ears are in your head. Uh, amazing because now you're hearing things as they really sound like in real life. And apparently I haven't, I haven't, um, worn them, but apparently it's just, it feels so real. Yes. And I've heard that like with virtual reality, I mean, virtual reality, I guess has not really, hasn't been able to yet produce kind of the quality that we're seeing yet, but it will eventually, you you know, theoretically you can get to the point where you are, you're, it's almost like, uh, um, you're in another reality. So, so I think what's going to eventually happen with cinema is that we're going to have kind of a, and I don't know if it's going to, it's not like, it'll be a subculture at least at first Mm -hmm. of this, kind of experiential, you know, it'll be more experiential. That's where I think kind of the future is going, um, from a technology point. And right now, I think for people who want to get into the film industry, especially for people who want to make a lot of money and and get into the big world of film, 
you want to start thinking in the sci-fi realm. And, and also not just thinking in sci-fi, but you want to actually start going out there and researching about what new technologies are being made because, um, that's, what's going to make you a really great, um, sci-fi writer because sci-fi writers, at least from what I've understood and what I've, you know, been trying to push myself to is they have a grasp on what technology is doing right now. But when you start to get a good grasp on technology now, you start to go, Oh, well, naturally it will go this way. Yeah. You know, and that's how, that's why I, I feel kind of safe in projecting that film will become somewhat experiential because, you know, I already predicted a lot of things that have happened in the industry has obviously never been recorded. So it's just me saying it right now. But, but when I've always kind of been on the cutting edge, like paying attention to what's going on in film and yeah, things do naturally just always kind of progress there. So I think it will be a more of a 4d, even they might even call it a 5d experience, you know, where you have, you know, um, who knows? I mean, who knows how far things will go, but the thing is, is also what's going to be weird about the film industry too, is that we may actually, for the first time in history, experience these things more individually. So we actually will create more separation from each other in the experience of our own movies and stories and cinema. Oh, okay. Um, because like, if you think about it with virtual reality and with these headphone type options, what would happen is you wouldn't literally see anyone else around you. Yeah. Um, you would have a different experience, like yeah. a, at least a slightly different experience from everyone else. Yeah. And like when I was in film school, um, there was this little book, just tiny little bit, but Spielberg said something in it. And, uh, he was like, I like going to the movies. I like having my popcorn. I like sitting down in the group. And, and I think Spielberg had a point. He has basically pointed out that in a way, the theater, like the theater of film will never really go away because we like being around people. So even no matter how far virtual reality goes in a way, I don't know if we'll ever lose the cinema because there's this kind of a, there's something about getting there in a group of people eating your popcorn and kind of doing it together. And yeah. the, the problem with the virtual reality model is that we will probably embrace it, but it will be an addition to yes, it. Yes. You know it what I mean? Be, it'll just be something different, a different experience because yeah, there is something with the shared experience and then, and then the, uh, because I've, I've gotten to do a little bit of the virtual reality. Um, you know, a friend of mine has like a basic thing, like with their, with their phone and, and you attach your phone to like this crazy like headset. Yeah. And you know, and, and he's shown me some things on it that really like blew my mind. Like, I'm like, Oh wow. Like what, basically what you're just getting out of a phone, like what you can do with (laughs) attaching a phone to this thing is, is extraordinary, uh, in terms of the sense of immersion that it, that it can give you. Um, but yeah, it's not, it's not, it's really not a shared experience. No, it's, you know, everybody's sort of watching you, (laughs) have some kind of like experience where you're just (laughs) looking around and feeling around and, and whatever. I mean, I suppose on a large scale, everybody would be having their own experience, but yeah, there's, there's something to be said, I think for, for each of these things. And it would be an addition. Yeah. Um, Um, there's another, there's another thing. Uh, you, you saw that movie, her, no, no, oh, I haven't. Dude, That's with, see that movie. Uh, Joaquin Phoenix, yeah, Joaquin right? Phoenix yeah. and uh, Scarlett Johansson as the voice. But, um, that was a, that was a good sci-fi flash forward to, um, you know, the hologram model, which mm. could be something that we also begin to embrace because, um, you know, right now 3d film is essentially 
two lenses shooting at different levels that creates a 3D image, right? Yeah. And we wear glasses and we can pick up that image. So with the hologram, you actually have light projected in a way where it's, it's lights projected to hit a certain point. I mean, basically... Someone's going to be like, you're not explaining that properly. Whatever. <laughs> you get my idea. Hologram. You guys, yeah. if you've seen a hologram, you know what I mean. But holograms, so you're in a way, you don't have to wear any gear, but you're in the movie. You're kind of experiencing. Yeah. So what would be really crazy, and I don't know how we'll, how we'll do it because I don't necessarily understand the, the um, technology of how it's actually captured or done. But what could be really crazy is I could be literally looking at you, right? You're a three-dimensional person here, but... But it's like I'm sitting on the couch and then someone over here to my left is there and I'm watching the movie and I get to choose which one of you I'm looking at in in many ways. Yeah. And like it's kind of all, you know, like just as an idea, right? So what can happen is it changes the model of film because right now with film, we have a, if, if you know anything about film in the sense that what the lens does is it's the eye. We control yeah. the audience's eye. We decide where they look. Right. And video games have kind of um, kind of taken a huge share of the market of entertainment, because right now in video games, you get to decide where you look. And so if film can find a way where you can experience a film, the same story everyone else experiences, but you experience it like a play Mm -hmm. and you can look at the film from whatever way you want to look at, which is interesting, because if that does happen, Meisner acting would be extremely useful because (laughs) both actors, one actor wouldn't be behind the scene. Like you wouldn't have a reader. You'd have both actors like a play, like it used to be like in a weird way, we could go back to the way theater was done and actually films will be captured more like theater, which could be wild. I don't know if that'll happen or not, but that's a potential. It makes, yeah, it makes sense that it could go that way. Very moment to moment kind of. It's, and it's obviously, it's already proven that that can work because the thing is that you still, if you still have a compelling story and a compelling, and a compelling drama, I mean, you're going to be drawn to certain things for, for the most part, you're going to be drawn to what, to what's happening. Yes. But you'll be able to, (laughs) you know, look away from that if you want to. Right. Yeah. Um, you yeah, it's that, super fascinating. Well, and just here's another little tidbit of knowledge. Um, with uh, So with the studios, right, like with the, the studios when they originally came to be, what they realized was that audiences were actually became very attached to certain actors. That's why we have A-list actors today, yeah. because what they realized very early on was that people actually really liked actors. They They felt like they created a relationship with them and that even though they didn't know them and they liked the familiarity of them. So that's yeah. why like someone like Tom Cruise or Brad Pitt or Meryl Streep or whoever, you just name Emily Blunt. I don't know. I want to name a couple women, a couple guys, right? Yeah. Um, but you, you look at them and you kind of, you like their movies, you, you know, because you're like, you, you have an attachment to them. Whereas if some other woman say played the role of Emily Blunt, but wasn't Emily Blunt, you don't have that same experience. So it, it's interesting though, because human beings have an experience of cinema, which is, you know, and it's funny because I want to come back to this with the independents, like how they fight yeah. this and they try and do the no name project. The, the, the thing is, is with a lot of films that get made and make money, they have names involved. That's a huge factor. So I think that this, I don't know, this will always kind of shape our, the, um, at least movie entertainment, at least for a, a good while, because, um, recognizable people in many ways, um, 
are a big factor if a movie yeah. gets seen or makes money. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And then sometimes there's a there there's the rare exception. Right. You know, like uh, like Star Wars cast a bunch of unknowns, but that's because it's Star Wars. You know, they yeah. don't you don't need to have name actors for people to come out and see Star Wars. And it, you know, everybody knew that they were going to see some of like the old people, but they brought in entirely new stars. Yeah. Right, but it, in that situation, yeah. it doesn't necessarily matter. You know, there's always there's always exceptions to every single rule. Well, then you just you know, someone could just someone could argue that, and you could always just say, well, the character is Star Wars, or the character is the fact that Harrison Ford showing up. But the character is that it was J.J. Abrams, and everyone knows J.J. Abrams. I mean, there yeah. was some factor of uh, insurance, you know, that was. In oh yes, yeah, definitely. Right? And I think that's what, uh, you know, that's, that's a lot of what the big studios are looking for. They're looking for a certain amount of, can we ensure, like, it's not a risk. Like, it's not like a maybe we'll make our money back. If we don't make our money back, um, that's a big problem. You know what I mean? So for them, they intend with every movie to make their money back. And every once in a while, when they have a bomb, they don't lose, like, they lose hundreds of millions of dollars. Like, it's like devastating, I bet. Yeah. I mean... So but even then, it's usually like the way that that those big studios work. Like it's not even like they're they're fronting all the money. Like they've got investors from all over the place and insurance and insurance yeah. and yeah, all kinds of. But yeah, I mean, it's still it doesn't um, you know studios are not are not invulnerable. You know, like when there was like the writer strike and then the entire you know there was the big crash in '08 and stuff. Like the MGM just about went under. Yeah. You know, like it, it, I think that that was a real, that was a real, you know, blow to the industry, especially in that side where they were like, holy crap, we are not untouchable. Right. You know, like we've got to be, you know, and and I think that put everybody on edge, Mm -hmm. you know, and, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's really interesting. And I I think in terms of like where, blockbusters are going now like we're we're i i feel like the the comic book movies they're they're starting to they're starting to like exhaust their options a little bit right um now there's still some stuff coming down i think that doctor strange that looks really interesting uh but from what i saw i i went and saw the jungle book last night We'll talk about that maybe on another time. <laughs> sure. Yeah. I'm seeing it on Saturday. Fantastic. Well, yeah, we'll definitely, we'll talk about it a little bit. Uh, because it's an interesting movie to take a look at, actually, mm-hmm. I think. And we'll discuss it then, whenever then is. <laughs> and, uh, but I was watching, you know, all the trailers that were coming out, you know, for stuff before it and a lot of them Disney films. And I think for the, the sort of the more immediate future... Uh, in terms of like a trend in, in what's going to happen in blockbusters. I think that, um, the adventure film is coming back in in a big way. Really? I think that that's where it's, where it's heading. It's, yeah, it's, you know, live some return to some live action stuff. Um, you know, and, and still a big spectacle, but yeah, like, adventure films, hmm. adventure films, because it's not quite comic book, but you can still go into some similar types of territory of like, you know, really fantastic, you know, places, locations and stuff. So I think that there's, 
which is pretty exciting actually, because an adventure film can be so many different things. Yeah, totally. So, well, like King Kong is kind of an adventure film. Oh yeah. You know, like yeah, uh, absolutely. You venture out to this crazy land, and then you bring this thing back. I mean, even Jurassic Park is uh, arguably an adventure film. Yeah. You know, and I, uh, I, I could buy that. I, I could see that. I mean, I think the thing is too is like, you know. All this actually, I think it's a great time to put a point forward is that never trace, never, never, never chase the studio industry's trend. Mm-hmm. Because if you understand that they have films backlogged, like you have no idea, and your film, by the time it's getting get made, unless like someone like you know Jerry uh-huh. Bruckheimer or some big dude's going to come along and say, we're making this film now, right? Or yeah. whatever. I don't even, I don't know. But unless someone says, I'm going to champion this, we're making this right now, your chances of getting your story forward if it's following a trend is like, it's probably never going to get made. And, and by the time it comes back around, if that trend ever does come back around, um, you know, it'll be so out of date, right? Yeah. So I think that you need to really um, connect first from a, from a story point of like, what's an idea that you think would be really cool to make? not chasing the industry. If it does, if it does end up aligning with what's cool and trendy right now, I don't know if that's necessarily a problem, but I think it's a problem to, to chase it. It's it's a, to to approach it from a thing of like, well, what's hot right now. It's like that teacher who said, do what everyone else is doing. Like worst advice in the world. You know what I mean? Like don't do what everyone else is doing. You know, ask why do you want to write this story? Why do you want to create this story? Well, yeah, I mean, because it's like because then you know you're you're throwing yourself into an already saturated market. Yeah, you know, how are you possibly going to get anybody to notice you and what you're doing if you're, you know, if you're just doing what everyone else is doing? Yeah. You know, when I say that I think it's going to adventure films, you know, th- that's just me making an observation on on what I what I see is happening. I'm not saying like, yeah, go go out and start writing adventure films. It's yeah. like you, you, it's probably somewhat too late. <laughs> to do that, or at least don't be in any, any rush, you know, for, for anything to happen with it. But yeah. from what I'm seeing, I'm like, okay, I, this looks like what's happening. Now. You know what I think, uh, we didn't really touch on it, but, um, we could for the end of this is talking about these smaller production companies, which are still kind of bigger, like mongrel and whatever, you know, like, like these kind of companies that aren't studios, but they make theoretically, technically, they call them independent films, you know, so to speak, but they make stuff that's a little more in the middle ground because there's the full independent, like where, you know, a producer or a few producers come together and they have no real affiliation to a production company. Maybe they start their own production company or they work with one that's brand new and they make a movie, right? That's like super independent. Then there's kind of like, and I'm, I'm generalizing, but there's middle independent, which is like, you know, mongrel or whatever, like these yeah. pr- production companies, which are kind of like, um, you know, they're getting stuff, uh, getting some pretty big stuff done. Yeah. yeah like and they're getting names, names, names yeah. and whatever. Right. And then there's major motion pictures like, you know, Lionsgate, MGM, like just keep naming it. Right. Yeah. Weinstein. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so he's behind it kind of stuff. So they're like, I guess he doesn't, I guess they're, they're behind. They do everything. They do everything the Weinstein's there. there like, because yeah. yeah, they'll do a huge, you know, they'll do the next big Quentin Tarantino movie. Yeah. But then they'll fund some like tiny, like tiny, but like they'll do some like, 
uh, small Coen Brothers film right. or something like that. Um, it is in the scheme of the, you know, it is kind of small. But it's funny because yeah. we don't even, like, everyone looks at that and goes, that's pretty big. I think if people understand the nature of the business, I think this is the beginning of our talk, but they understand that there's, it's not just like totally independent or studio. Like, um, you know, it's it's kind of a mix. And, and more now than ever, it's a mix yeah. of it all. You know, it's like, and, and there's, I think there's basically three, I mean, on a very like, elementary level there's studio there's production company and then there's totally independent yeah and i think um you know i think that kind of production company model established production company model is is a really good middle ground that has taken a huge amount of the market share of filmmaking now and that's often where the best films are being made like all the stuff you yeah. see at the oscars like in my opinion i mean I mean, I like my popcorn entertainment every now and then, but I, I, I would say there's like the production companies who continually make really great films with great actors and have yeah. great stories. I think that's where, you know, but it's not just make anything wrong. It's not to say like fully independent people who just want to make art and be like in the festival circuit, you know, and, and hope that it'll get distributed. And it is kind of hope if you haven't thought about it. Yeah. Then the production companies that are like, we're, we're taking a bit of a risk here. We're taking some risks here, but we believe it will get distributed. We're pretty certain it will. Yeah. And we got good, good people, good people, people attached to it. So whatever, whatever. Um, and then the studio, which is like, we're going to, you know, we're going to go really big, but we're going to go really kind of conservative, very safe, very predictable. Um, you know, big, big names, biggest names, biggest money involved. Right? Wide appeal, like yeah. wide branching appeal. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, it's, it's, uh, as filmmakers and as storytellers, we, we, all we got to really do is we got to start to understand how the nature of the business works because, you know, you can work in any part of it. It doesn't, n- n- none is necessarily better than the other. It's yeah. a, it's a preference. And you, you know? see a lot of the mix and, and move like there's, there's stuff that, you know, they're, they're more of like a production company independent, but then you see that they're also, you know, they're, they've signed with like Sony Pictures Classics or something like that, you know, which means that probably they got a bunch of their funding, they got a bunch of their ducks in a row first, and then, you know, one of the, a big studio came in and said, are like, oh, okay, all right, well, you know, we'll help finance the rest of it. Right. Kind of a thing, you know, where it's like they'll, the big studios will be like, okay, well, this is because... There is studios, big studios still love to have Oscar projects. Yeah, they they, do. they still it's good for their it's, name. It's good for their name, yeah. you know. And but I think for a large part, they trust a lot of that now to these smaller productions, which like something like a mongrel, because you often see like when you throw see that mongrel sign up there. There's a bunch of other ones that yeah, yeah, come yeah. up with it too. And a lot of in so in association, in with. association with, right. Yeah. Just like, cause it's all, a lot of people had their hands in, in help in helping get, get it made. Right. But you know, a lot of those stories are not necessarily a financially viable for a big studio. Mm-hmm. Not know, alone, the, not alone, not no. alone. They can't, they can't take on all of that risk. Um, you know, for something like they're, they're, they can't shell out all of this money for something that's probably not going to generate a whole lot at the box office right. for them. You know, so they, it's, it's an interesting little ground where they can, they can step in and, and do that sort of thing. But I think it's, it's such an interesting thing. Cause like, yeah, like when you look at a lot of pretty big, you know, directors or, or what have you, you know, or, or even actors 
And you see them work through so many different levels of the industry. And it's because, you know, there's so many different places that are best suited right. for certain stories. You know, certain stories are, are really like serve well for a big studio picture. Some of them serve really well for something lower and more independent. You know, and that's why you see people moving around. That's why you see the Coen brothers. They do something really big and then they do something that's like they probably did for a couple million dollars. Yeah. It's fascinating. It you know? is fascinating. It's, you know, it's, um, you know, another couple of things is like, and we didn't really touch on this, but well, let's take a few minutes and do it anyway. Video on demand, mm-hmm. like the Netflix oh, yeah. and Hulu and all that stuff. Right. It's, um, you know, it's such a big change in the industry. Like this is a, this is an evolution, you know, in the way that we experience movies, right? And um, or at least all, how we access it. For and sure. how we access it. And TV has become an entirely new type of thing because TV now is like an extended movie because you watch an season or six seasons or whatever, you know, that's a whole story. That's like a movie drawn out in detail over a long period of time. Yeah. Right? And um, you know, they were saying it's more so just like episodic. Like I don't even think of it as TV anymore. It's just like. It's like, this is episodic storytelling. You know, I'm not sure if that term episodic means one-off or if it's actually, ep- yeah, there's like episodic, I think in the, I'm, I, actually, I don't know, but I think episodic yeah. might actually mean the way it used to be, which was that you could watch anywhere in the season and every episode was self-contained and whatever. Right. Now things aren't so self-contained. Like, I mean, you don't watch, uh, um, I don't know, Breaking Bad, like, you know, in season three, you know what I mean? You watch it season one and you don't skip episodes because whatever you missed was important. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like I, I, someone <laughs> recently told me, it's like, oh yeah, I watched a little bit of the first season. Then I, I started watching some of the, the last season of Breaking Bad. And I'm like, what, what? <laughs> like, no, I'm like, please just go back, yeah. go back, pick up where you had left it off and, and watch it through. That's so weird. That's like, like reading a book at reading the end of a book and then reading the book. I don't know. I find that weird. Like, Some people actually do that. Apparently a lot of people do that. I find that a strange thing, but <laughs> regardless of that, um, TV has become big. I mean, you know, uh, what was it? Psycho, um, got turned into its own little TV show, yeah. you know, like things, these worlds of movies are getting turned into TV shows. So Hannibal, think, Hannibal. Yeah. There's another one. So, you know, you just, you could list them off. And the thing is, is that, I think what, what people, what the industry is kind of moving towards is like world creation is so huge, right? It's like Hannibal, um, which is basically science of the lambs yeah. was basically a world that was created based around kind of a character, which basically that, that the world was this fascinating character. Um, you know, same with cycle, whatever it was, a situation it was this hotel, yeah. this, like this creepy hotel what if we told a story around that? And I think, you know, the interesting thing is if you come up with a concept that has um, enough of a world that could be expanded on, there's all sorts of ways these things can go. Because, you know, people always like, you know, accuse the studios of making remakes and doing all this stuff, but they're basically going, okay, this worked. Let's expand upon it. Let's work from it. Let's Let's make it again with new technology. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's like the Pirates movies, you know, yeah. they're making, they're shooting another one, which is like the fifth one in the series. And I think they're, they're still like, there, there's another one planned as well. Like they've already got a sixth one that's <laughs> like, that's being developed. Yeah. Um, you know, whatever you might think of it, but you know, it's, it's 
probably that same thing. It's a world. Yeah. It's the world that people want to come yeah. into because I've talked they, about this before. I'm like, yeah, I, I watch like the pirates trilogy or the original trilogy, like every year it seems <laughs> do <you>? yeah. <laughs> I do. If I get, to, I just get this hankering yeah. to just be like, well, what I want to go into that world. Yeah. Um, what other pirate, pirate movie is like that? There's nothing. No, which is like, again, this is how, you know, the business side of it, of, of the studio system. In, in this case, it's Disney. This is how they're working. Yeah. You know, it's just like, all right, like, and, and, but it's up to them to deliver, mm-hmm. right? That's the big thing for them. It's just like, okay, it's like you, if you rehash something, <laughs> you know, or if you're bringing something like a, something that you've already established, you're not going to create necessarily an original franchise. Well then, you know, make sure you, you deliver something still within that. Yeah. I mean, I've never, I've never written for studio, so I have no idea what that's like. Uh, I have no idea, but I, I imagine that it's, 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 um, you know, a lot of, a lot of people, a lot of input and it's probably, it's hard. And I think there's, um, there's probably so much demand on who, whoever is writing it or who's ever a part of it where there's, you know, it's probably hard to have that creative freedom. You know what I mean? And so yeah. I, I wonder if people get so constrained by the restrictions of what everyone's demanding and asking for yeah. that the creativity of it kind of gets almost zapped out of it, you know? Well, it would pass through a lot of hands, you know, yeah. like a lot of, a lot of, you know, big studio scripts, like you see, there's a lot of people who've, who were writing it, mm-hmm. you know, it's like, and I'm sure that, you know, it probably started with like one or two people who said like, Hey, we got this. And they're like, that's really great. We have an industry veteran who has some ideas yeah. for you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I mean, uh, you know, and, and you know, I think it's, I think people get jaded in the industry because some, some industry veteran is already connected to the studio, fills in the gaps on scripts and, uh, comes in and basically changes more than 50% of it. And then they put their name on it. And, uh, you know, when they get the credit and the original writer who came up with all the really creative ideas for the most part and the base of it kind of gets kicked off almost in the process a lot of the way. So I think people get jaded by the whole thing, but I think it's, uh, it, you know, <clears throat> there's not, not everybody in this industry is, is out to do good. And I think that we shouldn't go down to that level because not everyone's, it's like my argument about yeah. the. Hillary Clinton thing earlier. It's like, I'll do it when everyone else does it. Just do it because you have integrity, because you believe that to be a good thing, you know, and don't worry about it. You know what I mean? If you, I think if you show up and you look at how you can help and how you can participate and you play ball and people like working with you, they're going to want to keep working with you. And you know, um, then one day when you're the writer, that's the veteran and they're going to hire you on, you know, just ask yourself if you were the veteran and you could have the credit, would you take it? You know, and, and a lot of people, you know, I think people like to say, no, I wouldn't. But if you build like that integrity, you might not do it. You know what I mean? And I think there's a lot of people out there in the industry who people, you know, this whole jaded side of the industry where people talk about how all oh, people are out to do this and they're out to do that and there's whatever. There's a lot of good people in the industry too. Yeah. It's not just bad people, but I think we, we get really focused. I mean, when you hear conversations, I think it's just, people love to hear the story about how Oh, your name got written off as opposed yeah. to the person who got screwed, who came in and helped you to actually write the script and didn't get you written off. Yeah. You know what I mean? But no one talks about that person who did that. You know, everyone likes to talk about how they got screwed over, 
but no one's like thankful for the person who didn't write them off. And I think it's about the way we're being right now. I mean, you know, if if we want to perpetuate um, really great behavior amongst each other, we need to be it, you know, like Gandhi, be the change. (laughs) You want to bring it back to it, right? Yeah, that was what was running through my head. Yeah. Well, all right. So let's, why don't we wrap this one up? Sounds good to me. Some final thoughts on this. Yeah, so I just talked for a while. I want you, want you. All right, yeah, I'll, I'll let you drink some beer <laughs> yeah. and I'll talk. I'll take a sip. I yeah. think. Um, <laughs> yeah, you know what? It's the this for me. It's like this. The big studios have their place. They have their place, and and it's important to recognize it. You know, to really try and understand what that world is. It's just a different thing. It's not necessarily better or worse than anything. It's it's its own thing you know, and you can choose to participate in it or not. But again, don't be a hater against, against it. And if you hate it, if you think there's all these problems with it, well then be someone to help it. Yeah. Be someone who brings something to it, you know, that, that changes it in a way that you want to see it go, Mm. um, you know, for the better, at least the way that you feel that it's, that it's better. So, and, and yeah, and, and understanding and coming from a place of, you know, hey, listen, everybody's got their own angle on this whole thing that, that's going on. And how can, how can these minds come together? How can your mind and this other mind, whichever side of the spectrum you're on, how can you come together and say, how can I help you? How can I help you? You know, and it's a much healthier and happier way of, of collaborating with somebody because it is whether you like it or not, yeah. If you're, if you're engaged in like making a film or whatever, you know, medium that you're in and, you know, you've got somebody who's in the business or the industry side of it, you know, that like where this is a business to them and there's a person who's in, who's the creator or the artist side of it, you know what, like you both have something that you're bringing to the table and it's, and respect that. Yeah. Respect that in each other and, and and help each other. Mm-hmm. And you're going to have a much better way. Cause there's no way out of it. Once you sign up for it, you're collaborating together. Yeah. So make it as happy an experience as you can possibly make it and make it happy by helping each other. Yeah, I think so. I, I really like your point. I mean, I think, uh, you know, it's amazing actually that we all come together from all our different backgrounds and all our different experiences and all our different skill sets, and somehow we come together and we work together and we make something and create something out of thin air. You know, yeah. like it's it's kind remarkable. Of it's a unremar- miracle. It's, it is. It is a miracle. I mean, it's amazing. You know, and yet, and that we can all be friends and be happy afterwards. Some of us, <laughs> but um, I think that the thing is, is that never. I think when you go into this, don't go in with the opinion that you know everything and that you're right. I mean. Whatever your awareness is, have you be a director, a set deck person, a costumes person, whatever, it doesn't matter. You know your area really well because you care about that. And there's this whole other world of, of input that everyone else has. And I think that, uh, you know, um, I think being respectful of that and appreciative that everybody's bringing their input. And it's, it's the best that they can do based on what, you know, they could bring. And um, I also think it's okay not to work with people as well. You have that decision as well. And, you know, sometimes you, you know, you might, um, interact with someone and, uh, you don't, you don't 
you don't have to be okay with them. You know, if they're not, if they're not willing to play ball the way you want to play ball, um, you know, you might not want to continue on with them and that's okay as well. It's not a problem. I mean, it's, uh, but I think you need to be in your integrity about it. And I think it's working with people and that means them being willing to work with you too. If they're not willing to work with you, you might make an executive decision and say, well, you're not, a, you're not working with the team that we're trying to build here. Yeah. You know? And in that case, it's just like, it's, it's not a fit. It's not a fit. It's just not a fit. Yeah. That's, that's all. Yeah. And, and I think it's as amazing as that we managed to do it time and time again. Somehow we managed to fit it together. Yeah. You know? And I mean, if you looked at probably the percentage of films that are made, it doesn't fit together a lot. <laughs> there's a lot of broken production companies a lot of broken people after Mm -hmm. movies they've made you know and uh um not everybody makes the cut at the end of the day you know some people make it through and they remain unjaded and they remain hopeful and positive and optimistic and helping and some people get jaded and dark and they drop away from the industry you know and i think that hopefully um, if I was to leave anybody with anything on the end of this podcast, that you're one of the first, you're one of the people that remain hopeful and positive and helpful and someone who's a contributor and not someone who's jaded and a complainer and a hater on the industry because some experience didn't work out for you. Yeah. Cause, uh, you know, at the end of the day, we all need each other. We really do. I mean, films aren't made with one person. Little really shitty ones are, but <laughs> but the ones that we want, you know, we need all of us. Yeah. We need people to come together and want to do it. So focus on that. Yeah, <laughs> beautiful. Yeah. All right. Well, this has been the B and E podcast. Yeah, good subject today, Evan. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> you can't leave it like that. You Thank can't... you. <laughs> Until next time. Until next same time. bat time, same bat channel. <laughs> That was our show for today. Thanks a lot for listening and being a part of this. If you enjoyed our conversation, please subscribe and share with your friends and family. Or you can learn more and message us at www.thebndpodcast.com. Oh, and make sure to leave a comment and rate us on iTunes. That will really help us out a lot. It definitely will. Thanks.